The first reading is in Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. Acts of the Apostles 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Nelamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Nasia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who are in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading is from John chapter 14, verses 8 to 17, and can be found on page 1082 in the Church Bibles. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is, in, it is the Father living in me who is doing the work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. 
and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you, and I will be in you. This is the word of the Lord. Shall we pray? Lord God, we thank you for your word, and we pray that you will give us your Holy Spirit, that we might understand and that we might live and tell of your salvation. Amen. Good morning. It's very good to be with you here today. And thank you for your welcome. I'm sure this is going to fall off me, but at least you can hear, can't you, this time? Um, as I say, it's, it's great to be part of the diocese here in Bath and Wells. And it's especially good to be here, as uh, I knew Simon and Anne quite well. Um, I have been part of the Lee Abbey trustees for some time and um, as a result worked alongside Simon before he left us and I feel as badly as you do about that too. I was thinking this morning as I drove over here of a particular occasion in one of the churches that I was uh, pleased to be minister of. This is not going to work, is it, Howard? Am I, am I coming across all right? Okay, it's just my ears are, are ill-formed for these things. I think that's what it is. But I do like moving about. So if I start flinging my arms around, perhaps you'll forgive me. I worked most of my parish ministry in inner city Nottingham. A bit different from around here, but uh, I found it a delightful place to be. And I can remember one Sunday morning, uh, Simeon came into church with his family, and they were cock-a-hoop. I'll explain why in a moment. But partway through our service, we had an interruption. We were used to interruptions. I don't know whether you get interruptions in your church services here, um, but frequently we'd have visitors come in partway through the service in all sorts of different frames of mind and in all sorts of apparel and on this particular occasion, uh, after I'd just preached a sermon, we were singing a hymn before we were going to pray. And uh, the steward came towards me, looking a little bit anxious, and said, I don't know what to do. What do I do? There are some women at the door. I said, well, bring them in. Bring them in. She said, yes, but they, they've got gifts. I said, well, okay, bring them in even more. She brought these two women to us whose arms were laden with flowers, food, bottles of wine, money, clothes. It was a real gift. And these two women told us their story. Perhaps normally you would have opportunity to take somebody aside, to have a little word, to find out what was going to be said. But I, I, I was used to interruptions, and so, no, I asked them to tell their story. What had happened was they were on holiday, actually here in Somerset, when they had a horrific car accident in their family. And so 
they went to pray in the nearest place available. There was no good vara, which was their normal place of prayer, so they went into a church and to pray for the person in their family who had been so uh, damaged by the accident. And God had heard their prayers. So there they were at our church service on a Sunday morning saying, we are now home with our family, uh, all safe and well, and we want to give thanks to God. And as we prayed in church, we want to come to church to give thanks to God. And they said this, we may speak different languages, but there is only one God. We may speak different languages, but there is only one God. It transformed the life of our church in terms of how we then prayed. Because that morning, as I said, Simeon and his family had come into church and they had shared with me that they had got their indefinite leave to remain. They were a Pakistani family and there they were with the news they had been waiting for for some years. And yet when I asked him to stand up and pray and give thanks to God, he said, I couldn't possibly do that. Couldn't possibly do that. You do it for me. And there we were about to pray as these women were giving thanks to God publicly in an unfamiliar place, an unfamiliar language. And so Simeon steps forward and says, if they can thank God, then I can thank God. You can imagine how we felt. It was a very multicultural community that we lived in and a very multicultural church congregation. And so different languages were familiar to us and we learned different ones along the way. But there's nothing like worshipping God in your own language, is there? Or hearing from God in your own language. That day transformed the prayer of the church, but it also transformed us in trying to be a little more able in how we shared the message of God's love. So we began during Lent to teach the Lord's Prayer in Urdu and speak it together, not just in translation, but in trying to share in one another's message. And I was thinking about that particular experience as I came over this morning, because on this day of Pentecost, we often talk about those different languages that were spoken, or those different understandings of people, how people understood in their own language as Peter and the disciples got up and spoke. It's remarkable, wasn't it? that God communicated with all people in ways they could understand. Now, we may not be so multicultural in this context, I don't know. I don't know how representative you are of cultures around the world. But we all have different means of seeking to understand. We all have different backgrounds, different educations, different experiences in our home lives. And so, there is a need to be able to understand God through that prism, that lens, isn't there? That perspective. 
I want us to think of for a few moments what it was like for those early disciples as they gathered in that place of worship. Perhaps not in a church as we have here, beautiful though it is. It was, would have been a small place where perhaps they would have gathered just to seek each other's company because they were at a moment when they were anxious, disturbed and uncertain about what the future held. Does that sound familiar? Uncertain about what the future held. They were trying to come to terms with what God was saying to them. Here they had been, people who had followed Jesus through those years of seeing some really incredible things, some opportunities of seeing God at work in powerful ways in people's lives. And then the worst thing had happened, the worst thing possible. He had been taken away from them, killed on a cross. It had really upset the equilibrium, hadn't it? It had caused them to really begin to doubt and fear. Peter, the one closest to Jesus, who had declared that he would never let him down, was the one who ran away first. Because he couldn't understand what was happening. It didn't make sense to him. Despite all that he'd heard, all that he knew from Jesus that there was going to be change in the future, he struggled to come to terms with it when it actually happened. And then, of course, there was that amazing experience of resurrection, where, again, I'm not sure whether Peter could believe his eyes when he looked into that open tomb or when Jesus appeared in that upper room. Certainly, he must have gone back to Galilee wondering whether he'd perhaps dreamt it, he returned to his old job, if you recall, he and his friends, went back to the familiar, something that they understood and knew. And it was whilst there on the beach that Jesus drew close, offered him food and spoke to him in a familiar way, something that he could understand. Because in asking Peter those three questions, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me? Peter has the opportunity to be restored back into that friendship, that discipleship again, knowing that he's been forgiven, despite the fact that he let Jesus down, that he failed him at that moment of death. Jesus is saying, listen, Peter, I've not given up on you. Don't you give up on you. I want you to be the foundation on which I build my church. And that's where we now find ourselves, here in that room on that day of Pentecost, with that promise ringing in Peter and the others' ears, and yet still wondering what was to come. Because having had all of that experience, Jesus had suddenly disappeared from their sight, making promises, vague promises perhaps to them, that they weren't to worry, they were to stay put and wait wait for the coming of an advocate, a counsellor, someone who would be there for them, the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know what they were expecting, do you? <laughs> I don't think it was quite what happened on that day. 
I think it probably took them aback, that sound, that rushing wind, the image of the flames, perhaps a bit like our brothers and sisters over in Canada have been a bit taken aback by the power of the forest fires they've experienced. Not something unfamiliar to them in terms of experience. The Canadians are used to forest fires, but not in the way that has happened in recent days. And Jesus had promised that he would send someone of power to them, but quite what images had been conjured in their mind, I really don't know. But what happened was something that turned their world upside down, but not only them, the people around them too. Because we hear that there was a great multitude of people from other places, other cultures, other worlds, as it were, there in Jerusalem gathered. And through Peter standing up and sharing the story of what had happened, of Jesus coming into the world, so others came to understand and know too, and to give thanks to God, challenged by what they had heard. It's an exciting story, isn't it? And we often talk about it as being the birthday of the church, the time when the church, as it were, came to life because of that Holy Spirit. Peter, though, says that this Holy Spirit wasn't just for them, but for all people. And that's something that I want us to think about this morning in your particular situation, your home situation, your work situation, this church as it awaits the next chapter, as it looks for its next new leader and priest. Because it's not just about somebody anointed by God to come and lead us here, is it? It's about recognising that each and every one of us are called to know the anointing of the Holy Spirit and to live in the power of that. Because Jesus' promise to his disciples is to you and I too. And it's a promise of power, a promise of gift, a promise that ensures that you will be equipped to be and do the things that God has called you to. What did it say there in Acts? Peter said, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. He's not leaving anybody out, is he? Everybody's included, the young, the old, men and women. They each can and will know the Holy Spirit. So my word to you today is just simply this. To fill your shoes and to find your voice. To fill your shoes and to find your voice. Last Sunday, I was in the cathedral. I was doing confirmations. It was the Wells Cathedral School and many of the children being confirmed there were choristers. And so on the Friday beforehand, I'd met with them and I asked them why they wanted to be confirmed. And several of them said, 
because I want to understand the sermons. <laughs> and I said, well, I can't wave a magic wand and promise you that. But what I will do is I promise in my sermon on Sunday that I won't be long, I won't be boring, and I will do something, well, get you to do something. Because that's what they told me, that most sermons are long, boring, and we don't do anything. And so I said to them, right, so I might do it for you, actually. How about that? Take off your shoes. They're not used to that in the cathedral. I'm sure you're more used to it here. Now, swap your shoes with the person sitting next to you. And if you can, put them on. Now, that might be a little difficult. They could be a few sizes too big, too small. Very impressive, Nicola. They look a bit big for you, though. Perhaps some of you are having to hold your noses. Perhaps you wished you'd not put on that holy sock this morning. And I wonder if there are any men here who are wearing high heels for the first time. Oh, impressive, Brian. There was a gentleman last Sunday who did the most amazing high kick I've ever seen in his wife's red stilettos. It was very impressive. His face was almost as red as his wife's shoes, but very impressive. You can swap them back again. It's very easy, isn't it, for us to look at other people and to think, if only I could be like that. If only I could be in their shoes, had their gifts, their talents. There are many times we do that, aren't there, in life? And often then, we are ignoring what God has given to us. Because there is nobody like you. You are unique. I was talking to each of these children, several of whom were being baptised as well, about the fact that they were unique. They may share a name that was perhaps a family name or something that was significant in that way, but for each of them, they are special and different, unique, made with the gifts and talents and skills that God had chosen to give to them. And that's true of you and I too. There will never be another one like you. And therefore, if we do not fill our own shoes, if we do not allow the Holy Spirit to equip us to be the person he has called us to, the church and the world will miss out. If Peter hadn't got up on that day and filled his shoes, allowed that Holy Spirit to live and speak through him, then you and I might not be here today. It was because he allowed the power of God to infuse him and to use the words that see, he so often got muddled up and round the wrong way, then you and I might not have been here. On that day, the church was born. 
because of people like Peter. And today, in Bath, in this community, the church will know life and growth if you fill your shoes. And by filling your shoes, I mean also finding your voice. Because Peter could easily have looked around and thought, well, there's no way I'm going to be able to communicate with this lot. I don't speak their language. And often when we look at our communities, transient and changing as they are, we think, well, I can't speak that language. Whether we mean that in terms of a physical language or indeed the experience that we can see of those around us, which may be very different from our own. I well remember as a new curate going into that church in Nottingham that I've spoken of and being told on that very first Sunday, you don't belong here. Because I was white, educated, and I was British born and bred. You don't belong here, I was told. But I learnt in the 12 years that I stayed there to learn to speak other languages, to hear and understand the experience of others, and then to be able to share with people my own experience and to hear from them theirs. Very often we forget just how we came to faith. It's through the communication of others, isn't it? It's through that relationship, that feeling welcome. One time I used to be a parish development advisor in uh, Southwark Diocese, South London. And I would frequently go to churches in vacancy such as yours and I would ask people, what is your, what's the best thing about your church? If I was to ask you that this morning, could you answer in one word, what's the best thing about your church? Welcome. I knew that word would come up. If not in the first, it would be the second, the third. Every church I went to, it was welcome. It was about that sense of people and family and fellowship and welcome, hospitality, love. It would come out in different ways. We are here to be hospitable. I heard that in your notices. You want to welcome people into your context here. We can so often be a bit exclusive in that welcome, can't we? because we don't learn the languages of others. We don't know how to communicate. We had some um, Gurkha families come to church and I learnt the little phrase namaste, namaste, which was a welcome uh, as they came into church. They were so appreciative of that. But it's not necessarily about the actual words that we use, it's about the smile, the coming alongside. I mean, it was lovely this morning to be met outside the church door, not to wait until I came in. I've been to churches, I don't know about you, where um, I've seen a group of welcomers inside the church door, but the gate at the far end was padlocked. <laughs> I was there to do a, a whole session on welcome, and that was the first thing I said, get the cutters out, because I had to walk the half the length of the street to get in the other door, and yet I could see you through the glass. How do we welcome people, people who are perhaps different from ourselves? How might they feel that they can come in? For many, this sort of language of liturgy, of church, religious language, doesn't un they don't understand it, do they? How are you when you go into a shop? I like to see in the front window that I can afford what's in the shop, don't you? 
I, I, I feel a bit embarrassed if I'm about to walk in and then find that actually it's going to cost me a half a year's wages to buy anything. And yet sometimes we expect that of people. It's good to see your glass doors. People can peer in and say, perhaps that's okay. How do we welcome, how do we find our voice to be able to communicate in ways that people will understand? We are in the diocese really beginning to think strategically about how we can work better together. And one of the things that we're coming down to is just one strategic priority. And it is about saying to ourselves, let's keep the main thing the main thing. Let's focus on, let's put mission and evangelism at the heart of all that we do. Whether it's pastoral care, through funerals and baptisms, whether it's through some of the project work that we engage in, in serving our communities. But let's put mission and evangelism at the heart of it. So mission, let's live the story. And evangelism, let's tell the story. Let's live the story and let's tell the story of God's love for his world. And that's what Peter's talking about when he talks about the salvation of God coming to all those, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 3,000 people came to faith that day. We often remark on that as being a, a significant moment, yes, but, you know, one that we'll never see. Well, why not? Why not? The Holy Spirit's promise is one of power to you and to I. But it means that we need to fill our shoes and find our voice. We need to live the story. We need to tell the story of God's love. And within the diocese, we're beginning to encourage people just, how might we help you to do that? Bishop Peter and I are very keen to join in with you here and uh, parishes and people across our diocese to do just that, to live it and to tell it. And I'm sure that as you pray for your next priest, that they will be encouraging you to do likewise. But they can't do it without you. Because there's no one here who will fill your shoes with your gifts and your talents. And no one will have quite the same voice that you have to come alongside people perhaps of a particular age group or uh, particular interest and um, creativity, whatever it might be that you're particularly good at. So I want to pray for you now that each of us, you and I, and the person who's going to come and join with you in this exciting journey, that you might all fill your shoes and find your voice and be able to share that promise of God's power to all people. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for Peter and his friends who on that day of Pentecost spoke up, lived out, allowed your spirit to come and refresh and renew them in ways they couldn't possibly have imagined. And through that brought people into the kingdom, people who wanted to follow you too. And Lord, forgive us that sometimes we can be a bit slow at that. That sometimes we sit back and look back or wish that we had the skills of somebody else or feel a little bit confused and bereft and under, 
just not understanding where you're taking us. Help us, Lord, to ask for that power of your Spirit, to await the promise. And as he arrives in us, as we know that Spirit come upon us, may we lift our hearts, may we fill our shoes, may we find our voice and live and tell the story of God's love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.